This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 344. In today's episode, for my audience, especially the photography students in my audience, I have a special guest. This gentleman is a new friend of mine in the photography community, and I am so impressed by his work and so jealous of his talents. <laughs> we have with us today toy photographer Jesse Fireeyes. And Jesse, welcome to the show. Can you hear hey, me? thank you, Liam. It is good to finally uh, catch up with you. Yes, yeah, yes. absolutely. Can you hear me? Yep, I got you. Your okay. audio is good, sir. Um, so awesome. Thank I, you. Yeah, it's I, great to be here. I've been admiring your work for a while, and you and I both do work with Platypod, which is a fantastic line of products. Mm -hmm. And I know you've been yep. using the daylights out of your Platypod stuff with your new passion, which is your toy photography. That is just mind-blowing how good this stuff is and how you keep oh, coming you. up with these ideas just blows me away um but to start off let's uh go ahead and give the audience a little bit of your background how you got into photography yeah sure so yeah like you said uh, my name is jesse fires and i have been well i started i'm a child of the 80s and i grew up really loving movies and such um so i actually started off as a when i was younger kind of more into video i thought i was going to go into movies or or do something along those lines so i was always i was always playing with camcorders uh, borrowing them from my from my grandfathers and you know messing around um and then after i like in high school, I, I started really getting into like the home theater aspect of it. And I actually, I went to school for graphic design because I thought that's what I was going to go into. I ended up getting a temporary job at an AV, like a customer electronics place <clears throat> the first summer I was out of school, thinking it was just going to be a temporary job, you know, while I'm looking for a graphic design job. Well, I ended up getting so into that job doing designing and building home theaters and being in, in that industry that I just loved it. And I stuck around for a while. And then I finally ended up getting offered a job in graphic design and I put in my two weeks with the AV company and they're like, oh, wait, you know, it was a small business. And they're like, hey, we'd love to have an in-house graphic designer. Would you you know, want to stay with us? And I was like, absolutely. I love I love this industry. So I stayed there and continued doing the, the low voltage stuff. And that kind of then eventually I got a camera and I'm like, oh, now we need someone to go photograph all these these homes that we're that we're designing and building and, and doing theaters and things in. So I started doing that. Um, and that just kind of really kicked off my photography thing. I just loved having the camera and reading up on it and taking pictures of anything and everything I could get my hands on. Really, I tried out all sorts of genres, everything from just a little bit of wildlife here and there, landscape, uh, product, macro, astrophotography, um, a little bit of architectural kind of real estate -y stuff since I was into the home theater thing. Um, but man, I just... I. I slowly started to fall out of love with video and in love with photography. I just love the attention to detail, trying to capture a story in a single frame. Um, and plus with my graphic design background, I already had a working knowledge of Photoshop. So, I mean, I had been working in Photoshop since like an art class way back in high school, which for me would have been gosh, 96, 97, I think something somewhere back then. So, um, yeah, so getting into the photography thing and, and combining that with Photoshop, it 
I just started to fall in love with the things that my imagination could, like anything I could think of, I could kind of create it in some fashion. So, man, it just took over. It just took over as a hobby. And then a few years ago, I was just playing around different genres. And in the vein of doing product photography, that's what I thought I was working on at the time. I grabbed this Darth Vader figure that I had, a 12-inch, very highly detailed figure that I got from my wife one year for Christmas. And I put that in front of the camera, took some shots under the guise of, again, a product, product photography. But then when I started looking at the pictures I was taking, I'm like, wow, this actually kind of looks like someone in cosplay. This looks really cool. And then it just started sparking all these ideas. I started going around the internet, looking around. And that's when I discovered this whole genre of toy photography. So people that are taking these toys and doing photography and Photoshop, like everything on paper is perfect for me. I cannot believe I went this far in my life without knowing this existed, you know? So it was just fascinating. And I dove right in and been having a lot of fun with it. And people started noticing it. And, you know, I got involved with the community, the toy community, toy photography community online is just one of the greatest communities there. So everyone is so helpful and they're all like helping each other out and we're giving each other tips and, and, you know, trying to elevate each other. And as far as online communities are concerned, you know, with the bad rap, they can all get like, man, toy photography is great. There's everyone is just out to have a really good time and, and see really cool images. Ultimately, everyone's rooting for each other and just, pushing each other to create new and, and more inventive and creative things. And it's, it's been a really fun, a really fun hobby that's turning into more. <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, and now uh, for my listeners, I'll have the link to his website in the show notes, of course, but his website is jessefphotography.com. Uh, and when you go there, he's got galleries on the, uh, when you go to his uh, website's homepage, you get a beautiful shot of the, I think it's the Millennium Falcon being chased by three TIE fighters uh that's an correct, amazing correct. shot that's that's just crazy so beautiful and uh and then when you go to his galleries he has outdoor product and toys which is the big topic we're talking about today is his toy photography which trust me when you see his images you're going to be completely blown away uh but getting back to <laughs> thank you <laughs> getting back to your home page you got to share with me and my Absolutely. listeners how in the world did you do this firefight shot Oh, okay. Yeah, this was so. Yeah, this is the fun. So there's this new line of toys. Um, they're called from a company called Jazzwares, I believe. They're called Micro Galaxy Squadrons. I think is the name. They're they're perfect for the toy photography stuff. They're a bunch of <clears throat> Star Wars vehicles so far, and they're all really tiny. Like the Millennium Falcon you see in this picture, I think is about ten inches long. Those Tie Fighters, their wingspan height is like three inches. They're all very small but they're incredibly detailed and they're really affordable i think those tie fitters are like 15 dollars a piece and in the world of toys that's that's actually pretty good yeah that's not bad um so yeah so i took these three yeah so my wife and i recently built a house we just moved in at thanksgiving so this shot was when we were in a temporary apartment and it was just in the backyard there was some they were doing some landscaping and the ground the yard was all tore up so i just happened to be looking out the window and see this kind of rough sandy rocky texture i'm like you know what that actually to scale looks pretty great for the ship. So I took a couple of the ships out there. Um, the TIE fighters, um, if, if you were looking at this image for the, for your audience who was looking at it, there's one TIE fighter that's being exploded. Its wings are popping off. Yeah. Well, the toys actually have their little wings come off. So I propped up the three TIE fighters with little, um, I'm, I'm slowly getting into model making because I love all these ships. And there's these little, um, 
it's like a little alligator clip on a wire that you use to hold up model pieces as you paint them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I've got a whole bunch of those. So I took a couple of those and clipped the wings to them, stuck those posts in the ground so that the TIE fighters, they're maybe six to eight inches off the ground. And then same with that one with the wings blowing off. I've got a clamp holding the wing over here and the rest of the body over here. The Millennium Falcon, I think, was just sitting on a cardboard, maybe an Amazon box or something, if I remember right, in the background. So I set all this up kind of how I want it to look, you know, and then um, I wasn't using a platypod at this time. I think I was using a tripod because I needed the camera up a little bit higher. But then it was uh, just a, a matter of taking a whole bunch of shots until I kind of get the the framing and the lighting and everything how, how I wanted. I didn't use any flash or constant lighting with this shot, if I remember. I believe it was just, I think I have a reflector, just a piece of just standard white foam cord that you'd buy at, you know, any local hobby shop for a couple of bucks just to kind of get some fill light in there. Um, so then take a couple of shots until I have something I'm happy with. And then I bring it into Photoshop. And in this case, I isolated all the TIE fighters and the Millennium Falcon from the background. <clears throat> and then I used Photoshop, uh, a tool, not the motion blur tool. A lot of people jump right into going to filters and motion blur. But in this instance, I actually use what's called the, the path blur. And with the plan, the advantage of the path blur is you can set up, you can like draw a line that's, that's your angle of motion, but then you can draw multiple lines and you can kind of have those lines converge to give you a sense of, uh, like a sense of perspective, like a vanishing point in the background. Yeah. Yep. So it, it, it really helps with the realism. And the other nice thing with the path blur is the path has a start point and an end point and you can alternate, you can adjust the blur strength on both the, the beginning and the end point. So what that does, if when you're doing shots like this, you kind of have to think of, think of different genres and, and a little bit of physics actually. So there, there's the thing called the, um, uh, the parallax effect, which basically what that means is things, the further something is away from you, it, 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 it doesn't move in frame or to your eyes as much. Like imagine you're, you're riding in a car and you're looking out the window the ditch that is really close to you is moving by super fast. It's probably really blurry to your eyes. But the mountains that may be 10 miles away from you, they don't even look like they're moving, even though you're driving at 60 miles an hour. Yep, exactly. So basically, so going back to the path tool, yeah. So going back to the path tool, in this shot, I wanted the effect, like the stuff that's really close to the camera, I wanted it blurring really fast. And as it goes, as it gets off into the background, it, it the blur is not as prominent in the background. Um so yeah, so then uh, let's see, the blaster fire, I think that's all just done in Photoshop. The explosion on the TIE Fighter is, I've been starting to use, well, actually I've been using it for a little while. Uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of Boris FX Optics. So Boris FX is a special effects software company. It makes a lot of really, really cool stuff. Um, but they recently released a package of, so- of their software called Optics, which is just for photographers. Oh, cool. And what this software does, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally Hollywood-grade special effects uh, software. They do stuff with HBO and like, you've probably seen their stuff on the last of us. Um, I know uh, I'm pretty sure game of Thrones. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a great package of software and it can be used standalone by itself, or it can be used as a plugin to Photoshop and, and Lightroom. So there's a great particle generator in there. So that's what created the explosion in this shot. Um, and I use that quite often. Uh, Boris effects is great. Their new particle generator is great for things like if you need to add snow, rain you know explosions muzzle flashes um uh, there's it's just has a it's a it's an incredible filter package uh, wow. lens flares light bloom effects 
uh, light leaks, all that sort of stuff. And the great thing about it, it's a particle generator. So that means whatever you're creating is really unique to you. You know, you can go online, you can buy um, packages of art assets where there's maybe sparks or fire and things and, and add those into Photoshop. And that's great. And I, and I do that as well. But the particle generator is so great because you can adjust all these little things like the size of the particles, the the velocity of them, how gravity affects them. And then since Boris Effects was originally a video special effects software suite, they also there's also a timeline effect. So you can set up all these parameters and then scrub the timeline. And all of a sudden your explosion is animating. So you can like choose the right frame that you want, whether it's a little explosion or a very big one with all these things flying off of it. Um, and, and it's so cool. And since it's a particle generator, you know that your particle effect is going to be unique from anyone else's. Nobody else is going to have that same piece of stock footage or that same piece of stock photography put in their, put in their piece because it's you generated. It's it's a random generator and you created it and it's unique to your shot, which is which is really cool. Um, yeah, let's see what else can I talk about that shot. Otherwise, yeah, the blast effect and the lighting, I believe, was done in Photoshop, if I remember right. Um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of how I do a lot of my shots. I've really been getting into the vehicle shots lately. Um, I enjoy doing the figures, uh, like the character portraits and things. But, man, there's just something about sci-fi spaceships that's just super cool. You know, they're just really fun to work with. Yeah. And plus, at the end of the day, then when you have that model, you, you get to put it on your shelf behind you. So then you've got this cool collection building up. Yeah, that's out of go. control and you spend all your money on. <laughs> yeah, you're buying all these props for your photography and then it just expands your collectibles. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. You know, you know it becomes a problem when uh, all of a sudden you have to take a Friday off of work and you go to Menards and you're buying shelves and you're putting up shelves in your home office. Or so I've heard. So I've heard. <laughs> all, all to hold all your new props. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I've heard of Boris Effects. I actually have their uh, Crumple Pop software for uh, Logic Pro. And use that for oh, my when I process my podcast. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely familiar with them. I didn't well, re I didn't realize they had this excellent. optics plugin. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, optics is is one of their newer pieces of software. I think I think it's only been out two or three years, if I remember. And shameless plug, I actually recently, if you don't mind, if I recently did oh, no, become affiliate with them. So if any of your listeners, yeah, if any of your listeners listeners want to go try Boris Effects, you know, Google Boris Effects and optics is the software you want. I believe they have a 30-day free trial. But also, if you use the code Jesse underscore optics, you can save 15%. It's oh, subscription-based, cool. so you can get it monthly or annually. So, And I've been using them for, I think, yeah, about two or three years now. Totally and cool. It, admittedly, the interface is is unique. It takes a little getting used to, but man, once you dive in, there are so many options. Um, there's so many things you can fiddle with. And and like I said, I've been using it for for maybe two or three years now, and I kind of still honestly feel like I've just scratched the surface. There's so much that thing can do. Wow. Um, <laughs> and, and and not only has it, not only do I use it for the visual effects in a lot of my shots, but just playing with the filters and just messing around and seeing what you can do has literally informed me of ideas of shots to then go out and shoot because I saw an effect in there. I'm like, oh, look at this. Okay, this is cool. I'll bet you if I make a shot kind of with this idea in mind i can come back and put that effect in and it, it's really cool and and i mean to be honest if you're really good with photoshop there's really nothing you can't do in photoshop yeah or, but excuse me there's nothing a lot more complicated to do in photoshop <laughs> it is and and boris effects is an incredible time saver i remember one shot i did um i did a shot of the emperor and he had lightning coming out of his hands and 
you can draw that stuff in Photoshop and play with the lighting and, so, and, and all that. But in Boris Effects, there's a lightning generator. You can literally have the start point, the end point, have the lightning go here with, with just a bunch of sliders. You can adjust how many like arms of the lightning are coming out, how intense they are, like, and just move the shapes around if you don't like it, you know, and it's, it's non-destructive. So you can go back and re-edit it. And it just, it's such a time saver, you know, what creating a lightning bolt would have taken me a half hour in Photoshop and taken me minutes in, in Boris effects. Wow. That's incredible. I'm definitely going to have to check out their, uh, their optics software. I see they actually offer a perpetual license. I, I have the one fifty. Yeah. yeah. What was that? Oh, they do. Okay, great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they have, yeah, a, they have a, yeah, no, not, uh, not everyone's a fan of subscription-based. Yeah, they have a, yeah, if you, go to the, if you go to the optics page um, to buy now, you have the option of a subscription for, you can either do $8.25 a month if you pay by the year, $9 a month if you pay monthly. And then if you go to the top, uh, go to the box and click on it and say new license, you can buy it. Uh, it looks like a perpetual license for one forty. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which isn't bad at all. Great. That's, that's Great. a pretty good deal still for a perpetual license. Yeah, especially for all yeah, the stuff yeah, you can do with two it. Two cups of coffee a month or so. <laughs> now the uh, uh, yeah, so and, in your go okay. ahead, go ahead. Well, I, I was going to say one other thing. If even if you're not into all the fancy special effects and stuff, Boris FX also has a lot of options just for like kind of your your almost standard exposure correction type stuff the, the the standard lightroom photoshop stuff you would do you know um a lot of exposure correction stuff color correction uh color grading film stock emulators things like that so you don't have to dive into the super crazy special effects either with with boris effects yeah i was gonna say being it's called optics it probably covers a wide gambit of uh things that can do to your photos without even do, getting into the stuff you're getting into so yeah it's very versatile software yeah for absolutely but yeah it is. It, it's really great. I'm, I've become a huge fan of it over years, and I use it quite often these days. Nice. So under your galleries, the toy photography one, you got to tell me sure. how you did this first shot that's at the top of this page with the three figures, because this one is so cool. And you've got the you got the oh, the muzzle, Boba Fett. Yeah, the muzzle flat. Is that who that is? Boba Fett in the green? Yep, Boba Fett, and uh, he's taking on a couple of stormtroopers, got one in the headlock there a little bit. Yep, yep. That is so cool. That is yeah cool. okay uh let me i'm trying to remember that so let's say i think that was a lunch break shot if i remember right so those are just uh your standard kind of six inch act six inch tall action figures um i set them up down by the river by work back when i was going into the office i work remote now but um <clears throat> so that was a case of just really it's not that complicated i set a couple figures up in the sand you know posing is very important with the action figures um almost more important than your technical camera stuff because if a figure, if you don't pose the figure right, they can look very stiff and, and like a mannequin. So posing is a, is a real art into itself. Um, but yeah, so, so this guy, this Boba Fett shot, he's, uh, he's got one, he's got one stormtrooper down in a headlock. He's pointing his gun at another one. And then there's some dust kicking up. Like there's a whole bunch of action happening. Yeah. And all so that is, is I just had a can of, yeah, your standard, uh, like keyboard, can cleaner like a little aerosol can with a nozzle and yep. i'm behind the shot i'm you know i'm remote i'm firing the camera with a wireless remote and i'm just back there with my little can of air just you know just keep doing that do it a couple times then go check the camera see what kind of shots you got okay oh no it's not quite right you know you go back take a couple of shots and i go back and forth with that a few times until i see what i want to see on the back of the camera um 
And then for visual effects for this shot, there's not a whole lot going on. There's the blaster fire, which was all done in Photoshop, and then a little bit of added motion blur. I added motion blur to one of the stormtroopers' guns. Um, Boba Fett's got a little bit of a kind of a kilt kind of cape thing going on. So I've got a little bit of motion blur on that just to add some some energy to the shot. Yeah, definitely. Um but yeah, that that's one of my personal favorites too, just because it, it's just a fun little action shot. Now, what's, going on. what's the uh, um, and, and oh, what's the red beam of light behind the character? Oh, that is that is blaster fire coming from the stormtrooper on the right. Oh, okay. So he's got a. It's like he's shooting and he just missed, and the blast is going behind him. Oh, oh okay. that's turning around about to about to pop him. Oh, that's cool. Somewhere buried on that that there should be a widescreen version of that shot lower in the page somewhere i believe yeah. so one of the things i do with I my photography it. um i'm trying to see if i can find i'm actually not cheese i should get that on there <laughs> um i should really get that on there so but what i was going to mention is with a lot of my photography so like i mentioned earlier i was a big fan of movies growing up i love to shoot my shots in kind of a widescreen cinematic view but unfortunately, that stuff just doesn't show well on social media. When someone's looking on their phone and they're scrolling, you see a wide screenshot. It looks like the tiniest stamp, postage stamp size image. You know, it just it just loses its its luster. So I tend to shoot a lot of my shots a little extra wide, so that I can go back and I'll make virtual copies in Lightroom. That way, I can I can create my my widescreen crop. I can also create like a portrait crop for social media. So in this instance. It's it's a bummer that it's not on that page. I should get that on there. But I know there's a wide version of this shot where there's a lot more. There's a little bit more action on the edges of the frame going on. But still, I mean, but, that's that's still an amazing yeah, those, image. <laughs> oh, a, thank you. Yeah, that's yeah. I love that. One. I should actually get that one printed. And if we scroll, man, if we scroll down, you've got all kinds of fantastic images you're capturing. You've got um, you got one of Darth Vader. I do recognize him. Um, you got the oh, sure, sure. the yep. first one on the left. Who's that character with the the red and black face? I don't recognize with the red him. face. That yeah, the yep. red and black. That is Darth Maul. Yep. Oh, okay. that character is Darth Maul. He was in he was in the very first prequel, um, the Phantom Menace. Was kind of where he was introduced. He is such a cool character. the The camera loves him. So what you're looking at there, that's a, that is a sixth scale figure, which means he's you know which means a, a a six foot person is approximately 12 inches tall in the figure so he's about 12 inches tall he's all gussied up there in his robe and his in his his, uh, his hood there behind him that star wars kind of sci-fi wall is actually some 3d printed wall panels that my cousin did for me um it's a very iconic star wars kind of light look they have these kind of pill looking lights um so i had a couple of panels behind the figure and behind those panels i have a Oh, I believe it was like a 10 by 24 strip box, uh, soft box with, oh, a, wow. cool. with just probably, a, yeah, with probably just a standard Godox flash behind it. So that's what's lighting up that wall panel. And then above him, uh, there's probably a round soft box. I'm guessing somewhere in the 25 to 36 inch range um, above him for, for, for the main fill light. And then if I remember right, there's probably a piece of uh, another piece of foam core, white, just white tag board below him, kind of a fill light. To kind of fill up that face um and yeah took a couple of shots and i don't i don't think there's a whole lot of post-processing going on here other than kind of standard like portrait photography stuff so 
So a lot of my quote unquote toy photography, when I'm shooting it, I'm thinking of other aspects of other genres of photography. This Darth Maul, for instance, is when I'm shooting it, I'm really thinking of it like a portrait. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so, I'm, so I'm thinking of things like got to make sure the eyes are in focus. That's probably exactly what I'm focusing on. The face should be brighter than things around it to kind of, kind of help it stand out. Um, oh, actually, now that I'm looking at the softness of this, I do believe I did a bit of an Orton effect on this shot. Um, and for those who might not know, an Orton effect is just kind of a soft, dreamy kind of like um, look that you see a lot in landscape photography. Um, lots of different ways to do it. You can do it as a, I think it's called the ultra glow in, in Boris effects. Uh, if you're just in Photoshop, a real quick, a quick way to do it is to make a duplicate of your layer, blur it to a certain extent, depending on, on your taste of how much you want it to glow. And then you can, uh, then I think you switch it to like an overlay or a soft light style for that layer style and then dial back the opacity and you'll, you'll start to get this very soft dreamlike film-like effect. Um, so that's kind of what's going on, helping the, the light bloom from the background. But uh, yeah, another one. I actually did get a print of this one for myself because uh, this was one of my personal favorites as well. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't uh, turn out darn good. Oh, my God. And you got you got one of one of my yeah. favorite creatures, the aliens, the xenomorphs from Alien. Oh, I love me some aliens. Yes. Yep. Uh, let me scroll down. Oh, okay, you must be looking at the alien queen or I think there's another. Uh, this is the one that's there's right. The queen in there. And right, there's a couple of. This is the one that's right below the 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 slasher guy from what is that the Halloween movies? Or gotcha. No. Yep, that is uh, Jason is that? from from yeah Jason. Uh, that's right. Not Halloween. Uh, Friday. Oh, geez, actually, Michael Myers is right next to him too. Yeah. Right? Yep. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. So, so the one so that, right below yeah, him, the, the xenomorph. Yep. Yeah. So that one that that's kind of a funny one too. There's a lot of fun little trinkets going on behind him so so that's i think like a seven inch figure of the xenomorph sitting on a table behind him the background is actually the back of a toolbox that just looked i just needed something industrial mechanical looking so that's the back of a toolbox standing up on end the ceiling there's like a graded ceiling you can kind of see yep yep that is a a veggie tray for for grilling that's just a grilling tray oh wow and then there's some yeah so then there's some chains uh, kind of hanging from the ceiling. Those are just, I went to Walmart and just in the hobby section, I think they're just little hobby, like make your own necklace kind of things. I just bought a couple of those. Um, I think I greased them up, kind of aged them with, um, like gave them like a paint wash. Um, when you're modeling and you kind of want something to look uniform and dirty, you get, you give it what's called a wash was just like a light. It's like watered down paint, you know, pick a color brown or black or something. You kind of give it a wash and then you wipe it off and all the grit and grime kind of stays in nooks and crannies. And it's a cool way to, to age things. Um, so I did that with those chains. And then, I, and then for lighting, I believe there's, uh, behind the character, I think there's a, a little Godox. I think it's an M1. It's just an LED RGB panel sitting on the floor, kind of shining up, set to like a warm color tone. And then there's another one above it in the ceiling with a cooler tone because I kind of wanted to give like a now yeah orange and blue are very complimentary so they go very well together warm and cold like that so um, well, that's the lighting on that and uh, the thing is with having the warm and cool light both I mean this looks like a scene straight out of one of the films thank you yeah that's that's a lot of the time kind of what I'm going for I'm trying to make these things look semi-cinematic and not necessarily 
I don't necessarily want to recreate a shot or a scene from a movie, but I kind of want my viewers to look at it at a glance and think, oh, that's from the movie, isn't it? Or maybe it's not me. It's a deleted scene. It's it's so close, but it's just off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, um, that's awesome. Trying to think. Yeah. If your viewers ever get a chance, I, I invite you to look at my blog too. A lot of these shots that you'll see in my blog, I will have the shot and then a couple paragraphs of a breakdown of how I did the shot. And then oftentimes a, a couple of behind the scenes shots as well. Yeah, which is totally cool. all this stuff. Yeah, I've seen you post in the uh, in the official yeah, Pod user group some of your behind the scenes shots. You and, and oh, Dave, sure. Dave Williams is insanely good at this stuff too. <laughs> oh yes, yep. absolutely. Yep. Uh, Dave, uh, is it is it Dave yeah, Williams or am I mixing him up with the other Dave? I know there's two Daves in the group. Oh, you you, you might you might be in a, uh, you might be thinking of Dave uh, De Beermaker. Yeah, that's him. Might be he's the, he's the other Dave, one that does yeah. and micro macro photography. He's the other toy photographer. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. Dave is awesome. I love him. He is such a great photographer and he's such a nice guy too. The, the interactions I've had with him online, you know, he's another great toy photographer. He's really getting into uh, 3D printing his stuff and painting it. And man, it looks so cool. It looks so cool. Wow. He's going hardcore. <laughs> yeah, Dave. yeah, he is. Yeah. He, yeah, he's a, uh, he's ahead of the path of me. I've been planning on getting a 3D printer. I just haven't pulled the trigger on on one yet because, like, I need to spend more money on this stuff. But <laughs> oh, man. well, they're yeah, actually they're actually fairly inexpensive. You can get a nice FlashForge 3D printer printer for like three four hundred bucks and make all kinds. Yeah, of stuff yep. That's yeah. What I, that's what I've got right now. I want to eventually the... upgrade to a bigger oh, one nice. that can do multiple colors, but I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, dang, I didn't know you could print multiple colors. That's really Oh, cool. yeah. Well, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but you can actually get spools of filament that are carbon fiber, and you can also get metal, too. Whoa. Where you can print your own oh, 3D, my gosh, 3D metal really objects. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I knew oh, that. Man, would, be careful. I knew that's going to end up being your expensive conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah, that that's going to be your expensive conversation when it's all said and done. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh. Yeah, because I've been wanting um, one thing. One thing that's big in the toy community is dioramas. A lot of people build these incredibly detailed and intricate dioramas, and I haven't gone down that road yet simply because I don't quite have the space for it. But now that we're talking 3D printers, it'd be nice to print a couple accessories here and there for sure. Oh, yeah, because I imagine there's probably people out there that do dioramas like the whole bridge of the Enterprise with all the action figures of all the characters. Oh, yeah. Or a scene, you know, from I think it's the Death Star or something like that. They would have all the characters in it. Now, once they get the diorama built, they could photograph it and, again, make it look almost like a scene in a film or something. Absolutely. Like like that Darth Maul picture we were looking at earlier with those wall panels. Those were three... You know, there's 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 3D files out there you can get there all these wall panels that have different styles from the movies and they're modular. So it's like you can then kind of build them like kits, like you print all the different panels and now you can build your own hallway designs and hangar bays and all this crazy stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I found some really incredible uh, 3D printing resource sites where you can just get all kinds of of template files that people have created. I don't have the ability to create my own. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't know the first thing about how to use something like yeah, 3d design you gotta use like autocad and and stuff like that and it's like so when i watch something original like i had uh i got a hold of a guy in one of my facebook groups and um and he does he actually can create designs he can create the the template files for the 3d printer he has those skills and i actually had him make me um i had him make me custom 
uh, hot shoe covers for my Fujis that say Liam Photography on them. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and I had, I had them do uh, lens caps for me, too. <laughs> it wasn't yes. it wasn't cheap to hire him to do them, but it's like a one-time expense. Sure, I, sure. I can print as many as I want. <laughs> So, Absolutely. Yeah. You oh, that's do, great. Yeah, th- you yeah, can do a lot so of aspects of yeah. 3D. Uh, see, Absolutely. I'm going to drag you into the 3D printing world. Your wife's going to kill me. <laughs> oh, man. I've been eyeing that stuff up for a little while, just waiting to pull the trigger, too. <laughs> yeah, but now you know you can print metals with it in carbon fiber. That's going to make it even more enticing. Oh, that's crazy. So as a yeah. matter of fact, I believe there's also a filament you can buy that'll allow you to print wood objects, too. Whoa, fascinating. So I just blew your mind with that. You, huh. get, you get one of the more expensive printers and you can do wood, carbon fiber, plastic, metal. <laughs> oh, oh, man. man. Yep. And I know, you I know it's going to be on your print, Christmas Not list. just like. Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Uh, go oh, ahead. You started. Yeah, all the accessories. Just... Oh, no. I was just thinking out loud. The, the opening up the can of worms of 3D printing and the amount of not only props you could make for these shots and the accessories, like, like just something as simple as a lens cap. You were thinking, you know, you're talking about like, how cool would it be to have a lens cap and then have the, the, the lens on like, Oh, this is my 85 millimeter. This is my 70 to 200 just by being able to see it from the lens cap. And, oh, yeah. uh, so many ideas. So exactly. Many ideas. Well, yeah, because once you have the, the, the files and if you get a two color printer, you could print out your own lens caps mm-hmm. where it's a black lens cap and then printed across the front of it is, you know, the focal length and the aperture and, you could even put, you know, Jesse F. Photography yeah. across the bottom. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like I've seen online someone like open up their their camera bag and then you can see all the lenses and they had custom caps or something like that. So without having to pull out the lens, you can see like, yep, this is my 85. This oh, is my 24. Yeah. This is, you know. Yep. I know what you're talking about. Uh, That's so cool. I can't think of the name of them off the top of my head, but there's a company in Canada that's become really popular. And what they do is they sell pre-printed stickers that have that data and you can put <gasps> decals, them on there you go yeah they're decals you can put them on the front or the rear lens cap and they make there them for air yeah. they make them for every brand of cameras um they have fuji ones canon ones sony ones so on and so forth and you can buy just a whole pack of their stickers that'll have the most common focal lengths pre-printed on them you can buy a whole sure. sheet of them for like 15 bucks or something like that and you can slap them on all your all your lenses so just a quick glance in your bag and you know which one's which Yep, definitely. that's so perfect. You know, you you start thinking about three D printing, and you think of all these crazy, wild, outlandish ideas. But sometimes you forget just the simple quality of life things that can make such a big difference. Little, oh, like yeah. those stickers, man, that's so cool. Yeah, I I, I love <laughs> the stickers, and they're very nice. But I think I would still rather have printed lens caps with the data on it, just because they would last a lot oh, longer. That'd be so cool. Yep. They would last exactly. much longer. Exactly. You know, the stickers eventually they're going to wear out. the The ink will fade. They'll rub off, or whatever the case may be. Yep. But or it just stops sticking. Yeah, they get yep. wet or something on the rain. And, exactly. And, uh, but if you three D print them, they're weatherproof. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. Especially if the white printing is actually white plastic resin that's molded into the black. You know, where it's embedded in the black, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's not going to die over time. It's not going to fade and stuff because it's actually embedded in the other color. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to get myself in trouble <laughs> telling you about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> All right. I got to I got to ask you about another one here on your site because it's you probably my favorite out of all of them you have on here. And you have some fantastic images. 
You got one of Baby Groot. You got to tell me how you did oh, this. Oh, Baby Grogu somewhere. Baby, yep. yep, Baby Groot. He's down uh, there on the left-hand side, down the page ways. Um, he's down. He's down a little bit from the, let me see here. Oh, if you go down just a couple more lines from the Xenomorph that we were talking about, and he's on the left-hand side. You got uh, you got baby Groot, and it looks like it's raining behind him or, or snowing, I think, because it looks like he's standing oh, in snow. I'm sorry. I was I was thinking of Grogu. Yes, the, the Groot in the snow. Yep. 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 That one. Yeah, is, yeah. You, so you got to tell us how you did that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that was kind of a quick impromptu shoot. That So that is, uh, so that is, okay, baby Groot. I think he's a life-size figure, but for him, that means he maybe stands eight inches tall or so. Great little detailed figure. Um, that's my wife's figure. She, she really loves him. Uh, yeah, there's, it was just the big, if I remember right, it was the beginning of winter. So there's not a lot of snow on the ground, but it was one of the first snowfalls. And I just happened to be looking outside and seeing that there's barely any snow on the ground. And I, there's all these little grass, uh, little blades of grass, just barely peeking out of the snow. Yep. And I remember seeing Grogu on the shelf and he has very similar little like sprouts coming out of him. So yeah. I just kind of connected the two mentally and really just took that figure outside. And I think that was even a handheld shot. And I just put him kind of posed him like he was out experiencing his first snowfall. So he's kind of got his arm up, like, you know, trying to catch it and looking up with, he's got the cutest face. I mean, you can't deny that those eyes and that smile. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, yeah, I just put him out in the snow in a couple of different various, you know, setups and angles and took a bunch of shots around him. Um, and after the fact, there's really not any post-production going on here other than just basic exposure correction type stuff. Um, oh, and send some texture. Definitely some texture. If, you're, if your students are and your audience are familiar with Lightroom, uh, the texture slider is great for, well, like the name implies, texture. So this little group figure, for those who aren't watching, um, you know, he, he's very, he's wood and bark. You know, if you think of the character Groot, what he is, you know, he's a tree basically. So he's got great texture on him. So now you can use the, this might've been before the Lightroom AI masking, but you know, you mask the character out and then you assign, then you play with the texture slider just on that character. And it really makes that wood grain bark type texture just really pop. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I was going to um, say. The, the detail and the texture is just insane. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you if looks, I remember right, there was there's you look so real. <laughs> those hey, I'll tell you what, those those sixth scale figures are great looking. They are expensive, but boy, they are very nice looking. Um and another thing I should note here, the all the snow is is practical snow. There's no there's no no boris effects in this shot. Um and that just took some experimenting to kind of get the right shutter speed to get the snow where it's not streaking too much. It's just a little bit, so you can kind of see the motion of it coming down. Um, yeah, that's but yeah. I, that's yeah, that was just the backyard. Just I the backyard yeah, shot. I had a feeling the snow was real. probably real. Yeah, I had a feeling the snow was real in that. Yep. It, yeah, it is absolutely in, the, in this shot. Yeah. Cool. Oh, and right next to it, I got to ask you how you did that Star Wars figure that's on the hover bike thing. That one is cool too. Oh, the speeder bike. Yeah. That so. Gosh, there's another. Sometimes, sometimes I think my Im impromptu shots, you spend weeks, days, weeks planning all these intricate shots, but then sometimes you just see something, you just go out, grab the camera and shoot and it turns out great. So yeah, this is, I remember this one very specifically. I was in the kitchen. It was a, it was a sunny, like Saturday or mid afternoon kind of thing, mid late afternoon. And just looking outside the window, I remember seeing the snow 
and how it was, I just had these little ridges, little tiny drifts. So when you do toy photography, you have to think of everything sort of to scale. Yeah, exactly. Um, and these little ridges and, 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 and drifts. So yeah, this is a, this is a 12 scale figure. So that means he's about six inches tall with his little speeder bike. I just took him out on an, and I had an acrylic rod that kind of stuck in the bottom of the, of the speeder bike. Cause it has a little port where you put a stand on, put a little acrylic rod out there, went out in the backyard, found a spot in the snow and just sort of used my arm to stretch as far as I could. Cause I didn't want to make any impressions in the snow with my feet or anything, you know, around the character so I could shoot it. Yeah, I mean, you exactly. could take it out in Photoshop, but that's just, that's just more work after the fact. It's nice to get as much in camera as you, as you possibly can. So yeah, stuck him in the snow and took some shots at various angles and, and such. And then until I finally found one I wanted. Um, and then again, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is another use of the path blur. So basically you isolate the, the speeder bike and the figure from the background. And then you kind of, so, so you, you basically make a copy of your shot and then isolate your figure so you can remove the background from that shot. And then you've got your original shot where then you remove the speeder bike and character. So you just have a clean snow plate basically. And then you use the path blur, kind of give it that, little bit of blur uh, to give it that sense of motion. The shadow, I believe, is actually, there was a real shadow there, but I made a new one where it's basically making a copy of the figure and then kind of scaling it and skewing it just right, um, lowering the opacity. I'm, I'm sure it has a different layer style, probably, again, soft light or overlay. Um, and there's a little bit of kick up of snow behind it. And I'm honestly trying to remember how I did that. That might have been Boris FX, actually, now that I think about it, with one of their smoke generators. Put a light little wisp of smoke behind the, the speeder bike so it looks like it's just skimming the just skimming the snow surface, you know, and kicking up a little bit of a little disturbance behind it. Um, yeah, that's kind of just that. And then uh, give it a crop and a little bit of color grading. I guess I haven't even talked about color grading yet. Um, I color grade all my images, which is really just a fancy term for kind of a global assigning certain hues to certain colors. Um, a very popular one that I do all the time is I will often assign a little bit of blue to the shadows to cool the shadows down and then a little bit of warmth, a little bit of orange or yellow to the highlights to warm those up. And that gives you a very popular, um, oh, what do they call it? There's like an orange cyan tone that's very popular in Hollywood. Um, I think it has a term, but, um, so, so that's going on here too. I, this one was probably cooled in the highlights as well to give it a, a, a very cold hoth type snow kind of feel. <clears throat> yeah. And that's incredibly cool. And I was wondering if the, if the, the shadow of the speeder bike was realistic. In, in other words, if you had a light off to the side that created, or if you had to generate it yourself, cause it looks very realistic. If, oh, thank you. No, I'm, I'd have to go back and actually look at the files to see. I'm, I'm pretty sure if I remember right, there was a real shadow there, but it wasn't how I liked it. So yeah. I removed that shadow and added in this fake one. Um, I wonder if that one's in my blog. That might be too old for the blog. Um, it turned out really well, though. Now, I got to ask you. Because oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. I stopped uh, using Lightroom and Photoshop a while ago because I switched to Fujifilm from Canon. And I personally, okay, and I'm not the only one, but I personally think that Capture mm -hmm. One does a better job of working with Fujifilm RAW files than Light. And Lightroom's gotten better, but sure. it's still okay. not nearly as good. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because I know they've made some major recent updates to Photoshop, especially with AI capabilities. 
Um, because oh, I was sure. going to ask you, when you go and you need to, like on this shot, if you need to remove the guy on the speeder bike so you can do work with the snow to create yep. the motion blur and all that stuff. Now, are you doing that with Photoshop? Because the one thing I was thinking, and I don't know if you've tried this yet or not, Luminar Neo has a ridiculously accurate background removing plugin that's, or I mean, utility that's built into their Luminar Neo software from Skyline. Sure, sure. And it's it's AI based and it is freaking deadly accurate for getting all the background out without messing with the main character. See, yeah, yes, um, I do have I do have Luminar Neo. I don't use it as much these days because um, I always fall back to Photoshop usually. But Photoshop also has a very similar um, like subject selection and background removal tools. Yeah, this one they probably did that. Yeah, they do, and it does work great. I use it more and more because it it's so great with um, with with characters, vehicles. Oh, well, it's usually pretty good. The speeder bike would probably be a challenge for it because the speeder bike has a lot of pipes and tubes and, and a lot of little things that would be trickier but but you're absolutely right liam i do use those for like the initial selection like the select subject see how it does it usually does a really good job and then i will most likely go in and kind of fine-tune some of the details manually um, but man that stuff is getting crazy good all the time oh yeah because uh, and, I... and it's in lightroom too yeah, if I remember right, in yeah, uh, especially in Photoshop, because once you make the selection, if it's not absolutely to your liking, you can tweak the edges, if I remember correctly, right? You can, like, tweak the yeah, edges yeah, of the subject using, like, a define tool or something like that? Absolutely, yeah. The, the thing with Photoshop is there's always multiple ways to come to the same result. Um, and Photoshop has so many great masking and selection tools. Um yeah, and like um, for those who may not know, so in Photoshop, when you're masking something, that is basically a term for re removing parts of it. Um, like if I have a character and I want to darken the background, I will I will create a mask around the character. That way, now I have individual control of the character versus the background, um, if that makes any sense. Um, and yeah, so these masking tools we're talking about, when I need to select select this character on a speeder bike, I can select that subject with a mask, put it on its own layer. And since it's a mask, it's non-destructive. So I can always go back and kind of refine a couple of corners here or, you know, the, the edge refinement. Oh, and it's, with hair, hair is such a complicated thing to, to mask. But yeah, Photoshop has a, there's a specific edge refine tool that you can go back in and kind of paint around the hair. And then that tells Photoshop that like, hey, this is hair. You know, we got to get really specific with this. And, and, and yeah, the masking tools are, just crazy and they get better year over year and, and now lightroom is starting to inherit some of photoshop's masking tools and in some ways lightroom's ma masking tools are almost getting better um like lightroom can now identify people and things and and certain animals and and it has this great new select subject tool where you can select the person and then once it identifies the person it will now then give you individual masks of eyes like the white part of your eyes, the pupils of the eyes, eyebrows, um, the face, skin, hair, like it can create all these sub masks now, which is just, it's fascinating, man. AI, there's a whole nother topic we can get into, but yeah, <laughs> the AI assistant stuff is so cool. Absolutely. And I, and I don't remember if it's Photoshop or Lightroom, but I heard on another podcast recently that the most recent update that Adobe released, it can actually 
it can create a mask and accentuate a man's facial stubble and beards and all that stuff now too with a ridiculous amount it, of detail yeah. yep yeah it's it, and the cool thing for me in my toy photography it works on a lot of the characters too it can identify that that darth maul one was a little tricky if you try to identify eyebrows it sees all the face paint on it and it you know it doesn't quite get it right but yeah it man that stuff is so wild it, it's so cool to be able to, and you know i've been with photoshop for a long time so it's it's fascinating to see the evolution of this stuff where to isolate a character from its background used to mean i would have to take like the marquee tool or the pen tool and manually draw this thing like no joke you could spend 45 minutes just outlining a character so you can separate it you know in the past but now it's like select subject boom yep that looks great i'll just refine this little corner this little corner here boom 30 seconds we're good to go it's amazing oh yeah and with all that stuff it, it's so great too because as much as i love the tech the tech is really just a, a conduit to the creativity it's the less time i can worry about cutting out my character the more time I can think about what I'm going to do with it, you know, like how creatively I can adjust the lighting or, or do things like that. And it really allows you to focus on creativity. <clears throat> yeah. Now I was going to say, I'd imagine that new tool that can, that recognizes and can, and mask facial hair would probably work great on some of your shots here you have on your site. Like with this one, uh, it looks like a cowboy. He's holding like a 32 caliber rifle in his hands. He's got a blue oh, jacket. Sure, yep. And he's got a beard, and I'll bet that thing can work really well, even on a on a on a toy figure like that that has that much texture and detail in the manufacturing of the product. And Adobe software can actually enhance yep. that, just like it was a real man's beard. I can imagine. You you are spot on, Liam. This one, yeah, this is a fairly recent shot here in the uh, I did a couple months ago, and I do specifically remember using those AI selection tools especially on the eyes. I did have to enhance the eyes because they were kind of tucked away under the shadow of the hat. So yeah, I used that tool to select the eyes and just, you know, enhance the exposure a little bit and the contrast of the white parts of the eyes of the, the blue that matches his jacket. So yeah, that's a per perfect case in point example right there. That's amazing. And that turned out, I mean, like I said, like so many of your other photographs, that looks like it's a real person. I mean, it does. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. that was another one of those kind of impromptu shots like it was just a nice fresh snowfall and there was trees and like you know what i'm just gonna go put them down in the snow kind of pose them up and take a couple of shots and just yeah the, the, i have to give a lot of credit to those figures too because they are <laughs> the detail in some of those things is uh, just amazing it, at the <laughs> same know? time i'm jumping the camera like, loves yeah them. he could just go out and just drop a character in snow and take a picture of it and it turns out amazing <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm simplifying it a little bit much, but yeah, it's because I know some. I know some it's of just the work. Fun. Yeah, I mean, and, when you and I know some of the work you and Dave and the and the Platypod group does. I've seen the behind the scenes photos, and it's like, oh my god, there's so much work you poor guys have to put into those shots just to get one beautiful photograph that yeah. looks like a cinema scene. Yeah, I mean, if you were. If we were on a video chat right now, you would notice that there's a table behind me that has a whole new setup. I got some new figures this week, and there's a whole incredibly overly intricate setup for a very tight little close-up that I'll hopefully maybe share next week of Luke Skywalker and Grogu, and Grogu here. But uh, oh, cool. yeah, sometimes it's, especially when you do toy photography and you've got these giant soft boxes and, and light modifiers and it, it looks comically out of place in many ways, but hey, it gets the job done.
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, yeah, I can imagine because you got like a six <laughs> or an eight inch figure, and then you're using like a thirty six inch softbox above them for lighting. <laughs> that's oh man, if you could only see Liam, that's ex- almost exactly what's going on behind me. There's a twelve inch figure with a little tiny Grogu. There's a thirty four inch softbox overhanging him, uh, a couple of bounce cards, and yeah. People would come in and be like, what kind of crazy science experiment are you doing in here? <laughs> exactly. So now yeah. I, I got to ask you, because you've mentioned some of the tools that you've used to do this kind of photography. Sure. But I know you're, you're into the other stuff as well, like I am. So how much has Platypod made doing this stuff easier for you? Has it made it easier or is it, oh my is it more difficult? Or? Absolutely. Oh, my God. No, absolutely. I... Oh boy, we talked about collecting figures. I am also amassing a collection of platypod products. That you and me both. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I I love the platypod stuff. I mean, I started off with uh, with their ultras back in the day. I've got a hand, almost a drawer full of those things now. Um, and they were great. It's the small little plate for that you can put a, a a ball head on, put your camera on. But not only your camera with goosenecks and and flashes. You know, it's not the platypod stuff is not only great for the camera. But it's great for accessories. Like, I mean, the light that's behind me that I was just talking about, there's one of the flashes is sitting on a platypod just so it, it can sit low and I can move it around instantly. Uh, the goosenecks are great. They have these little mini clamps that I use to, you know, to hold a figure in position that then I Photoshop out later. Um, the, the platypod extreme, that is their larger plate that I think just came out last year. Or maybe it was two years ago now. And it has last year. Yep. the spikes, the feet are now built into it. And man, that is no joke, Liam. The Platypod Extreme is one of my most favorite pieces of just camera kit. So much so I, I bought a second one because at the time before I was working remote, I wanted to make sure I always had one in my bag and I always had one at home in the drawer ready to go at all times. I love that thing. It works great. It has the padded, the rubberized feet that works great in studio when you're on a desktop or tabletop. It has the spiked feet that work amazing when you're out in the grass, in the sand, in the snow, on ice. I mean, and it's it's, it's a great tripod replacement. It's so small. Throw it in the backpack. It's super thin, light. Um, I, I just love that thing. That's one of my favorite pieces of kit. Oh yeah, me too. I got to get a. So, yeah, I, I got to get another one of the extremes. I've got, I've got two of the maxes. I've got one extreme. I've got the elite, the ergo ball heads. I've got two of the clamps. Oh, sure. Yep. yep. I got four of the goosenecks, and I don't know how many of the platypod discs. And then I've also got the square jellyfish smartphone holder, too. So I've got a ton of crap. I actually, I was telling Larry when I had him on the show last week, I said, I actually have a large, I mean, large pelican box that's nothing but platypod gear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Um, no, I hear you. I've got. Yeah, I've got a tool chest in the corner, and there's one de- there's one drawer dedicated to platypod stuff. Oh, and let's not forget the handle that was just released too. They just released their new handle. Um, Absolutely, using that actively behind me. You know, now, that is a great. Uh, that's a great. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say for some of your other types of photography, <laughs> I I would think the handle's got to be a real blessing because, like Dr. Larry was saying in the presentation and on my show last week, you put two of those. You know, you put one extended up 10 and a half inches on your platypod base or a tripod, another tripod. And then you put yep. a ball head on, flip it at a right angle, put another handle on it and then mount your camera. And you've got a perfect copy stand to shoot straight down onto something. Straight down. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That is a, that's a perfect use for it. Um, one of the first things I, oh, excuse me. So I, I was fortunate enough to, 
to get the handle a little bit early and yeah, kind, of, too. kind of help beta test that. And yep. yeah, and one of the first things I discovered, or one of my first favorite uses of it is, so for my toy photography, one of the general rules of toy photography is you got to get down at the toy level. You can't shoot above, unless you have a specific creative reason to, you know, always shoot at like the toys eye level or below. Yep. So with the planet, with the handle, now what I've been able to do is take some of these larger figures outside. I can take a platypod ultra, mount the handle to that, and then mount another platypod on top of the handle. So it becomes like a platform. So now I can take my figures outside and I can raise, I can elevate the figure outside and then have my camera low on the ground looking up. So it's like, so it turns your, your, your 12 inch figure into like a six foot person. It, it really does. You can get the camera really low and have this natural light and like trees in the background. And it's, it's just a whole new way to elevate the toys to make them look larger than life. It, it works out super slick. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. So you can shoot upwards at these figures and make them look life size because, mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I <laughs> I've heard that Tom Cruise is a stickler because he's not very tall. He always insists. <laughs> He always insists that they film him from a lower angle so he can look taller in movies, especially if, oh, he's, I totally if he's interacting it. with a taller yeah. co-star. Yeah, that's kind of funny. Yep. Yes, I totally believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think he's so, only like five five or five six, and uh, I've heard that I've yeah, heard yeah, from I a couple of sources that he, that he insists on being photographed from a low or videoed at a low angle so he can look taller. <laughs> oh, I totally believe it. Absolutely crazy the things they oh, do in yeah. hollywood um and now you're doing them all at home that's the yeah, craziest yep. part <laughs> it kind of yeah kind of in a crazy way you're you're absolutely right it's uh, like i've mentioned it's just fascinating to be able to now being a fan growing up watching movies in the 80s oh excuse me you know back then it was all a lot of practical effects and optical compositing so i really feel like the toy, the quote unquote toys that I shoot now, I actually treat them and I think of them more as props, really, just like the days, you know, in the late seventies, early eighties of ILM, you know, they were shooting a model of a TIE fighter flying through space. So now here I am shooting a model of a TIE fighter, you know, compositing the background. So that's really how I look at it in my mind. I'm kind of doing not just toy photography. It is, it's more of like a special effect shot almost in a way that just let you know just kind of get creative with it and and then like i mentioned earlier it's nice then you can put the toy on your shelf and it looks really cool in the background you can kind of check it out and <laughs> yeah exactly i just wondered how long it's going to be for one of the studios snags you to do work for them <laughs> oh man i would love to get a call from if i could do anything official like star wars related if ilm or lucasfilm or any of those guys gave me a call i would love to get my hands on an actual licensed Star Wars project or something. That'd be so cool. Yeah, that would definitely be cool. <laughs> and you've got, like I said, you've got everything you need to make it. And the special effects in Hollywood are just so insanely good these days. I mean, I was so impressed mm -hmm. with, with how realistic with CGI now they could make uh, Mark mm -hmm. Ruffalo transform into the Hulk and it looks so realistic. Into the Hulk, yeah. Yep. Yep. Didn't look the least but cheesy and yep. fake. Yeah. And and the funny thing is a lot of some of that's coming full circle now too because in the Mandalorian they built a CG model of the Razor Crest which is his 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 ship um and they use that for some shots but then they also made a practical model and shot a lot of it with the practical model to give it that kind of return to form return to the old school kind of way of doing things and 
So a lot of that model photography has been coming back in Hollywood, which is, is really fun to see. Yeah. And it's, um, uh, and it's not surprising, but that, because I think sci-fi or sci-fantasy is a genre that lends its stuff more to the modeling. Uh, because you can do incredible yeah. things with CGI, but I know most everything Star Trek, you know, the ships are almost always models. It's oh, sure. very rare that they fully CGI a starship on that on in one of those movies or TV shows. Now I know they oh, did. Interesting, yeah. I know they did in uh, I think it was the season last year, season two of Picard. There was a big or maybe it was the first season, there was a huge confrontation between the Romulan Star Empire and the Federation, where like 500 ships on each side warped into this area at the same time nose to nose against each oh, other cool and i know i yeah. read i read they had to cgi a lot of that just because they didn't have enough freaking models <laughs> so, sure yeah. but uh or a but warehouse big enough to yeah yeah exactly to hold them all. <laughs> but uh which was really cool but i know i know for most everything star trek you know the enterprise is always an actual physical model that they that they film um mm -hmm. and most all their starships are um, but they, you know, they can use CGI for a certain amount of stuff. But I know the the folks that do Star Trek, they like it to look as genuinely realistic as possible. So they still prefer sure. to use models, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, absolutely! I love it. Yeah, um, yeah. There's just something still about practical photography that that really just I don't know what it is, but it's just looks great still. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just I personally think you get a better finished result with a physical object and then lighting it properly. And, you know, like you're doing with all of your stuff. I mean, that to me, I don't know. It's just even with as good as CGI gets every once in a while when I'm watching something that's got a lot of CGI in it, I can see mistakes, you know, where something wasn't was a little bit wonky or mm -hmm. something like that. Sure, and it's sure. like you don't get that if you're using a model. <laughs> And there's, yeah, exactly. And there's, there's almost something forgivable about a model where like, oh, I don't even know how to explain it. Um, but like, like the newer, you know, the prequels, the Star Wars prequels relied so heavily on CG and they got a lot of flack for that. So now in the newer Star Wars stuff, like the Mandalorian, they're using a lot more practical creature effects and things like that. People in costumes, puppets, things like that. Yeah. There's just something they look better in many ways. And now with the advancement of like puppetry technology and all that kind of stuff, the way they can do hydraulics and remote this and that. And man, yeah, there's just something really cool about it. Oh yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and it's funny because I just watched a video on YouTube the other day on one of the YouTube channels I found just browsing YouTube. And, um, it was a video mm -hmm. about the most uncomfortable costumes that actors have ever had to wear. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I know, uh, I, I know the Iron Man suit was one of the worst ones uh, because it was just so hot. Oh, I believe it. It yeah. was so hot for Robert Downey Jr. to have to wear that thing for hours on end. It was hot. It was sweaty and everything else. And, and it was the same with, uh, uh, what's her name? Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow costume was so unkosher. It was sure. so hot. It was all leather, so it didn't breathe. And, you know, and she had to do all those fight scenes Ugh. in it. And uh, but, yep. but on the other hand, like you said, when you're using actual physical objects, there's just something that gives more that it gives to the movie or the TV show that you can't get when it's all just animated by a computer or a, gra yeah, it, or a graphic artist that's drawing it with a computer. Exactly. Like a lot of times, you know, <sighs> all that real practical stuff has like tactile texture to it where in if you make a cg model 
like if you have Darth Vader's helmet physically in front of you, it is this smooth kind of surface, but at the same time, it has texture. It has scratches and scuffs where if you were to generate that in, in, in the computer, you know, the computer generates everything absolutely perfectly. So you have to go back and re-engineer those scuffs and scratches and texture. You have to give it the, the defects in a, in a way. And if you don't do that, it just looks like this clean artificial thing. Yeah. It looks, um, in other words, it looks fake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. And I can always tell I'm a, I, ever since I was a little kid, I've always been a continuity nut when it comes to movies and TV shows where I love to, oh, catch, sure. yep, I love yep. to catch mistakes where they film one scene to the next, then they didn't get the continuity right. Or they messed yeah, up yep. their editing Last and they didn't side, edit properly. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, one of my favorite shows when I was younger, my uncle and I used to watch was uh, Lee Major's TV show, The Fall Guy, where he was a movie stuntman. And he was also a bounty hunter. And, uh, there was a scene on that show in the, in the show, he drove a beautiful old, uh, GMC. Uh, it was basically the GMC version of the old Chevy Silverado's like the C and the K series trucks in the early eighties that were really square. Okay, okay. And he had one of those that was lifted up, had big, fairly big tires, roll bar. He had a beautiful, uh, like a firebird emblem painted on the hood. And it had a secret toolbox in one side of the truck bed and all this other cool stuff. It was just an amazing truck. And there was a scene in one of the episodes where he got ran off the road and the truck rolled down a large embankment and then exploded. Well, they screwed up and right before the detonation, you could tell they actually swapped in an old, a white F-150 and then oh, that the, up. the stunt truck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they totally messed that up. And so many times I've gone back and watched episodes, oh, of, episodes of Knight Rider, the original Knight yep. Rider. And you can see in the, oh, scenes, yeah. the scenes where Kit's driving himself, they didn't do the editing properly. And you could actually see the rig underneath the front of the car with the cable attached to oh, it where they're actually God. pulling the car <laughs> yeah uh, hey, do you remember speaking of, uh do you remember airwolf oh yeah 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 that show with the helicopter yep yep nice I, I don't know why i thought of that recently and i was thinking about airwolf i'm like wow did i make that up in my head or was that a real show i, I think i used to have show. a toy of that thing yeah jan michael vincent no, i know the, i wish i still had that yep it was jan michael vincent and ernest borgnine where the the crew that flew oh, the nice. job. I need to hunt that down online. You can watch I mean, if, I remember, if I remember <laughs> right, I think they have all the seasons on Hulu right now. And you can watch them on there. Oh, on Hulu. Okay. You yeah. have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good that was a good show. That was definitely a good show. But it's also just so, great 80s properties. Yeah, same here. And well, my wife <laughs> and I aren't into the newer TV. Most of it's garbage. I mean, there's so much fake reality stuff and all that. So we have all yeah. we have streaming services and we basically watch the same stuff over and over again. All the Star Trek shows. Uh I got her hooked sure. on I got her hooked on watching Tony Shalhoub's Monk, which used to be on USA. He's basically like a modern oh, sure. Sherlock yeah, Holmes. And uh, I took me a little while, but I got her into, I finally got her to sit down and watch the entire series of Burn Notice with Jeffrey Donovan. That was an awesome series where he was, okay. he was a burn CIA spy. And every week he'd, have, he'd get hired to help somebody out of a jam. Kind of like, kind of like the A-team, but not nearly as fake as the A-team was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, on, okay. On, on this show, people actually got shot and killed. Uh, you know, it wasn't nine million rounds flying and nobody <laughs> got hit. <laughs> that was a good show. And then I, I also got her into The Last Ship, 
which was a was like a post-apocalyptic series that was on TNT. I not heard of that one. That's really good. That you can watch that on Hulu. Um, it was really good. It was on TNT around the same time. TNT had two really good shows at that time. It was a few years back. They had one called Falling Skies, which was an alien invasion story. Uh, TV series, and then they had the last ship started like two two years after um, Falling Skies started. So they ran back to back, I think on Wednesdays or something like that. And they were both tremendously good shows. And uh, you can find them both on Hulu and watch them on there. I highly recommend them. Very good shows. But basically, the last ship is yeah. it's a, a massive virus has wiped out a lot of the Earth's population. And one okay. lone one lone U.S. naval destroyer that was on a, uh, a secret uh, mission to the Antarctic didn't get affected. So now they're trying to save the rest of the world. They're trying to come up with a cure. Oh, for crazy! Virus. Okay, because they have a scientist that was with them. She was actually the one that was secretly trying to develop a cure before the virus went rampant all over the planet. And so this one lone destroyer is navigating the waters of post-apocalyptic Earth, trying to save as many people as possible. It was a really good show. Sure. Really good show. Oh, interesting. But yeah, we stick with stuff like that. Like I right now I'm back watching Frasier again because I love that show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I remember Frasier. Yep. Oh, funny. Uh, and it's yeah, funny. we haven't been my wife and I haven't been watching too much lately. Um, yeah. well, we're, we're kind of gamers too, so we've been yeah, see, my oh, wife is too. I was a big gamer when I was younger, but I'm not into it as much. Like, I have an Xbox 360. I haven't even taken it out of its box that it came in. I haven't taken oh, it wow. out of that box in like five years. It's sitting out there. Oh, shed. dang. <laughs> now, my wife loves her PS4. <laughs> she plays that quite a bit. Um, but I just... I, okay, sure. I was in it for a long time, like in the late 90s, early 2000s. I was into Splinter Cell and Call of Duty and um yep, yep. Uh, medal of honor game i was really into the the military style games because i'm ex-military myself so i like ghost sure. recon and rainbow six oh. and all of those okay but, interesting yeah yeah i just kind of I, I was just gonna say it. that yeah that that cowboy photo you had mentioned that's actually a character uh arthur morgan from the game red dead redemption 2 if any of your audience had ever heard of that um great cowboy western kind of style game oh cool um yeah, I think I've heard of that game. Yeah, so that's my that's nephew that plays it. I think my nephew Halen's into that game, if I remember right. <clears throat> yeah, we uh, speaking of so speaking of shows that my wife and I don't watch very often. Yeah, we started a second playthrough of Red Dead because we we love that game so much. Great, great characters, great story. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I love it when they turn uh, a mm. good story from a video game into a, a decent movie a movie franchise. Like they did a. I never played the games, but I really got into the. Uh, the movies, what were they called? Last of Us? No, 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 the zombie films um, that were based on a video game. What, uh, what the heck are they um, called? Them? They, had the, they had the girl, well, uh, Mila Jojovich was in them. Uh, she played the character Alice. Oh, Resident Evil. Resident, Resident Evil. Evil. Yeah, I can't believe I couldn't remember the name of that go. stupid yeah, thing. Okay. <laughs> I never got into the games, but I've seen from, all I was the thinking. films. I've seen all the films. And okay, 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 yep. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, I do love the one. Resident Evil. Resident Evil Eight. I think they're on. Uh, really good. <laughs> no, I think they. No, I think the last one was six. I think, if I remember right, because that oh, Resident Evil. Last... Oh no, no, they're on eight. Really? Or was it seven? I didn't know they made any more Resident se- Evil. Resident films. Evil Seven Village. Uh, I might. Have I might be mistaken. That. They might have only gotten to seven. 
Um, yeah, and then they just re-released four, which I hear is really good. I played the original four back in. The- oh, you're talking about the games. Um, you're talking about the games. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was talking about the games. Yeah, that's where I got lost. I was like, wait a minute. I think they only made six of the films. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know they made more uh, more more chapters of the game than they did films, which. I kind of wish they would have kept the films going because that would have been cool. I was really into those for some reason. I never never played the game, That's but I loved the films. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The games, well, the games were hit or miss. There, there's some good ones, some bad ones. Um, it's so cool to see all this cross pollinization too of, of properties now, and everything's got a show and a movie and a game, and and they all and they can all often stand on their own. Yeah, which is great. Oh, wait a minute now. They yeah they made six movies of Resident Evil, but then it mentions on the Wikipedia page that they have a reboot called Resident Evil: Welcome to Raccoon City. I hadn't heard about that. That's interesting. Oh, that does sound familiar. I wonder if that's like a remake of the first game, or like a movie based on the first. I don't know. No, interesting. Yeah, it might be. I'll have to check into that because I always love that series. Man, I've got a lot of media and 3D printers to catch up on after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I suppose we should wrap it up because I've kept going for, oh, about an hour and 15 minutes almost. Oh, my gosh. No, I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't hitting anything. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I was just, no, I don't like to eat up too much of my all the stuff. I got to Google after this. Yep. And I know you're, you're <laughs> still recovering from catching COVID, which is a bummer. Um, yeah, I, I should explain. Yeah, if, if I sound a little hoarse or I've been coughing, I, my wife and I just got finally got COVID the other week so we're we're recovering from that a little bit of a sore throat yet but drinking some tea and we're doing all right good that's good well hopefully you guys will be fully recovered in another couple of days but i wanted to thank you once again for coming out and talking about your your wonderful toy photography you like i said you and dave from the platypod group you guys are insanely talented with this stuff it just blows my mind oh thank you the things that you guys come up with and how realistic you can make the final image look it's just mind-blowing and definitely Always, oh. always throw in the behind the scenes shots because I love to see how you guys figure all this stuff out because it's, I mean, when I look at one of yours, yours or Dave's finished images, that's the first thing that pops in my mind is I'm like, okay, how did they do everything? How did What's they going place everything yeah. that made it look so darn realistic? How much of it is post-processing and how much of it is the real yep. thing? Because you and Dave both do a lot of it as much of you can as you can in camera, which is just insane. You know, uh, yeah. making, making little mini sets and all kinds of stuff, our backgrounds at least, and all kinds of stuff like that is just wild. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me, Liam. I mean, it's um it, yeah, it's it's been a really fun ride. I I found a hobby that I really enjoy doing, and there's a great community around. Um, and yeah, like you said, uh, try. Uh, we talked about a lot about special effects in this episode, but I really do try to. I look at it. This isn't my analogy, but I heard somewhere, and I I, I really I really love this analogy. I, I look at myself almost like a chef. You know, you go out there with your camera, just like a chef would go to the market. You try to get the best ingredients possible first. You know, and you. And then you bring them back, you cook them, and you and you, you create this thing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, whatever gets you to the shot, whatever makes the shot happen. <clears throat> yeah. Now, I got to ask, and I know if it has happened, you might not be able to share too many details about it, because I know that thing, that, that kind sure, of stuff sure. can get a little bit funny. But have you had any of the, like, the toy companies reach out to you and want to use your images for, like, promotional stuff? Have you had that happen yet? Not not toy I got to stop and think about that for a second. Um, I'm going to say no, not the toy companies yet. Um, some software and har- hardware manufacturers I've talked to and we're, we're doing some things. Um, toys, not yet. 
I, but in all fairness, I should get better. I'm terrible at marketing myself. I need to get myself out there more and, and start talking to them. Um, not yet. No, no. Currently I am, I am not employed by any, I mean, photography is actually, it's just a hobby. Uh, my day job is a graphic designer and video editor for, for a large software company. And this has just been a very fun hobby that has been growing and growing. Um, so at the time of this recording, I am not a professional photographer, you might say, um, but yeah, who knows what the future holds. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always tell, I always tell people, you don't necessarily have to be paid full time to be a professional photographer. <laughs> professional photographers that's true. are that, the ones that true. get the yeah. amazing results like you get. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Liam. I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. And I wouldn't be it's surprised a lot of if you don't hear from some of the studios or some of the model companies or something like that. I mean, I'm surprised they're not already beating down your door because you've just got great content. Oh, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, that would be, it would be fun to work on some of those kind of projects for sure. Yeah, especially if you can make some <laughs> crazy money doing it. Because <laughs> I know some of that yeah. stuff, yep. especially when, oh, and like get, I mentioned earlier, yeah. Yeah, once you get involved in studios, right. a lot of that stuff is really big money work. I mean, big money. I always wanted to do uh, behind the scenes photography for like movies and TV shows and stuff, which yes, it's a hard field to get into. But man, when you do, it's insane money. That would be so awesome. Yeah, that and uh, my wife and I are um, are WWE well professional wrestling fans too. So when we go to those shows and I see the photographers running around the ring doing those kind of shots, I'm like, man, that looks so fun. Oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> that would you see? You need to I don't know if I'd that. like to travel anymore at my age, but uh, well, if you could take the wife with you, what's fun to shoot? We can take the wife with you. That's no problem. Well, true. Yeah, if you could, yeah. You guys both love <laughs> exactly. the wrestling and you get to travel, especially when they do the, I don't watch it, uh, the wrestling anymore. I did when I was younger, when Hulk Hogan and them were all still, but mm -hmm. my brother Danny is huge. Sure, sure. And I know every once in a while, nice. they'll, they'll do like a big event in Ireland or something like that. That would be cool. Oh, sure. Yep. If you yeah, got that would be there. fun. Yeah, I've got, I've done, I've got a couple of wrestling figures. I've only done one or two wrestling shots yet. I need to, need to sneak some more of those in. But that's the great thing about toys. I mean, any, any toy you can find, anything your imagination can come up with. I mean, it's, it's, it's possible with the toy photography thing. There's, there's really no limits. Well, you got the knack and you got the imagination. Tip your wallet. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you got the knack and imagination, so keep them coming, guys. Man, you got awesome stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely, Liam. Yeah, I, I try to do – one of the things that really kicked this off is at one point I just said to myself, I'm like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do one shot a week. You know, I saw other people doing like 365 day challenges and stuff. And I'm like, no, that's, that's too much for me. I couldn't output the quality that I would want it to. But yeah, so a couple of years ago, I said, okay, once a week, I'm going to do a, a project and share it with everyone. And I've stuck to that pretty consistently. So yeah, just about once a week. And usually on Wednesday nights, I, I post something new. So always, always more stuff in the, in the bag. Always yeah. more stuff to come. Awesome. <laughs> well, I definitely thank you again for coming on the show. And I encourage all my listeners to check out Jesse's work. He'll, his website and all of his socials will be in the show notes that you can check out his wonderful photography and even see the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, because I'm sure there's probably some of my mm -hmm. photography students that listen to the show that would love to get into doing this as well. And, uh, so you may get hit up by a few people here and there, Jesse, <laughs> for tips and, and oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, if any of your audience members, yeah, if you guys have questions, I mean, feel free to ping me. I'll, uh, I try to get to as many questions as I can and, and help people out because because that's how I learned. That really is. I mean, I read a lot of books, watched a lot of videos, but seeing the behind the scenes shots from other photographers was is, is I think, so valuable. It, it's such a great way to just to see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, you, you, you see what's 
you see through the lens one thing, but what's going on around that is, is so different. So I, I really do find it very helpful to see what's going on behind the scenes. And so I, I love sharing that stuff with others. And, and I love seeing people get excited about it and watch watch the light in their eyes light up when all of a sudden they get it. And it's like, oh, I have an idea now. I want to go do it. You know, I, I love that stuff. I love paying it forward like that. And it's a great community. I, you know, it's, it's really selfish. I, I want to fill my social media feed with other great photography. So I see all that stuff myself. So the more I can help facilitate that with others, the better. <clears throat> totally awesome. Totally awesome. And I appreciate that. Hmm. And again, my listeners, if you want to ask him any questions, you'll be able to hit him up via social media. And uh, I'm sure he'll help you out. It depends on how busy he gets, but I'm sure he'll get to you at some point. And uh, <laughs> highly recommend you check out all of his wonderful photography and his behind the scenes shots as well, because the behind the scenes shots peeking behind the curtain, as I call it, is what will really get your creative juices flowing if this is a genre that you want to get into mm -hmm. doing. That's the way to do it. All right. Well, yeah. Again, thank Sky's you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Liam. I appreciate it. Yep. I love having Absolutely. you on. You're welcome. Welcome to come back at any time. I have a feeling this episode is going to be super popular, especially with the students. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Let's, let's do a sequel sometime. We'll do the sequel. Absolutely. You and your wife get feeling better, buddy. <laughs> and I'll talk to you again soon. I'm thank you, sir. Online anyways. All right. Take care, Liam. Yep. Bye-bye. <laughs> have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, so that is going to wrap up episode 344 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, that wraps episode 344 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also, stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, comment on them, like them, share them out on social media, hit the little bell icon so you'll be notified when new content drops. Also, make sure you get over to Jesse Fireisen's website, check out his wonderful photography. He doesn't just do toy photography, he's got beautiful product photography, wildlife photography, outdoor photography tons of beautiful images that you can check out and also follow him on social media so you can see the new projects that he's working on as well as the behind the scenes images as well all right thanks again everybody i will see you all again on sunday